This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hey, hello, and welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Miranda Corcoran, and joining me today is Courtney Stallings, author of Laura's Ghost, Women Speak About Twin Peaks. Uh, Thank you to our listeners for joining us today. But before we launch into the conversation itself and start discussing the book, I do want to give something of a content warning. Because of the subject we're discussing today, we're going to touch on issues of rape, incest, and abuse So if any of those issues are difficult for you in any way, you know, do feel free to uh, to switch off. I'll put some resources in the show notes as well um, if anyone needs them. Uh, So, Courtney, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So thank you as well for for joining us today. Uh, Before we get started on our discussion of the book itself, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. So I work at uh, Pepperdine University, which is a university in Los Angeles, California in the United States. And uh, I, I work in journalism and history and cultural studies and have been writing about David Lynch and Twin Peaks pretty seriously for about eight years. And uh, I, I've, I'm a senior editor for the Blue Rose magazine, which is a magazine that covers um, Twin Peaks and uh, its co-creators are um, John Thorne and Scott Ryan, and been doing that for about four years. And then uh, also collaborator and contributor to the Red Room podcast, which does podcasts and um, and written uh, works uh, about Twin Peaks, David Lynch, Mark, Mark Frost. So um, so I've been been doing that for, for a while now. And then uh, about four years ago, I came up with the idea of doing Laura's Ghost, Women Speak About Twin Peaks, Um, I really wanted to provide a platform for women in the fan community to have a voice. And I also want to explore the character of Laura Palmer um, because she seemed to resonate with so many people, uh, but especially women, um, particularly survivors of sexual assault and abuse, but, but not just, not just survivors, but many women could relate to uh, just what a complex character she was and, and what she was going through in the world. So just drawing on that a little bit, um, and clearly you're involved with uh, the Twin Peaks fan community in a major way, but I was just curious, how did you initially get interested in Twin Peaks and what drew you to the character of Laura Palmer? Well, I saw Twin Peaks when it originally aired in 1990, and I was a teenager. I was pretty young, and I I loved the... um, quirkiness and weirdness of the show. I've always been attracted to the the strange and the weird. And uh, the first thing that drew me to Twin Peaks and kept me engaged was the Red Room, 
because it was so otherworldly in this liminal space. And, you know, it really intrigued me, very dreamlike. And then um, I really started to get into the character of Laura Palmer after I saw Fire Walk With Me in a big way. I mean, I didn't really get to appreciate what Laura had been through when I watched the original series, but after I watched Fire Walk With Me, and then when I read um, uh, Jennifer Lynch's book, uh, The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer, I began to really relate to the character of Laura Palmer, you know, being a a young woman um, who is a survivor of sexual abuse and who um, just is trying to navigate the world as, as a young girl. Uh, I really became interested in, in seeing how Laura Palmer was was negotiating what was happening to her and, and the world around her and how she had to oftentimes wear a mask to, to mask the pain that she was going through and what she was going through. And I really responded to that. And it's always stayed with me. And I've talked to many other women in the fan community over the years about how that character has resonated with them. Absolutely. And I think, you know, especially Fire Walk with me is just one of the most unflinching and complex representations of trauma that I think I've ever really seen on screen. Um, it's it's incredible. And I think you really do get to know Laura as a character through that. And as you say, you get to kind of peer beneath that mask that she wears. Um, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but I was just curious as to how you came to write the book. Where did the idea of gathering together a group of women involved with the show and from the fan community to talk about Laura Palmer. Where did that idea come from? Well, I, I just came from the Twin Peaks Festival in the United States in 2016. And I, I, I was thinking to myself after really engaging with engaging with a lot of people in the Twin Peaks community that, um, you know, there's, there's a, at the time there were all these incredible women, but they weren't getting really recognized and they didn't have a, a platform of their own in most cases. And, uh, you know, in, in a, like a lot of areas, um, you know, women don't always have a platform or, you know, host their own podcast or um, are writing the, the books um, that, that are out there. And so I, I was like, I, I know all these incredible women and I want to get their voices out there. And so it started with that idea of just having a platform where it was just women talking about the subject. And I knew that I wanted to explore the character of Laura Palmer because she meant so much to me. And to, to me, the, the story of Twin Peaks is Laura Palmer's story. She's at the, the core and the heart of the narrative. It starts with her, you know, in, in the pilot, um, you know, she's, she's dead, wrapped in plastic, washed on a beach, washed up on a beach. And then uh, it ends with her um, at the, the very end of season three, um, when she goes back to that house, which is the site of her trauma and so to me, she was the core of the story. And so, so I wanted to explore women in the community. I wanted to hear their thoughts about the show and the movie, of course. And then I also wanted to hear what they thought of Laura Palmer. What's her legacy? What does she mean to them? And so it started from there. And I didn't know what direction the book was going to go. I didn't know who I was going to interview. I didn't know um, what people from the show I was going to get in there. At the time, I didn't have Cheryl Lee on board. Um, I didn't know if it was going to be essays or interviews or, or combina- it ended up being a combination of, of both. Uh, but th- th- that's where the idea started. And then it kind of, you know, wove its way around from there and became something something new. You have a really diverse range of people involved with the book. So you have people from the show like Cheryl Lee, for example. Um, but you also have, of course, a range of artists and performers and writers how did you decide what kind of people you were going to include in the book? Were there were there certain people that from the beginning you were like, right, I have to get them on board? Or did it maybe develop more organically? 
I would, I would say it developed organically. I started, you know, when I, when I first started working on this book, I didn't know if it was going to have a publisher. I thought maybe I'll self-publish it. I didn't know where it was going to go. So it started organically with people that I knew in my network. Um, some people I had met on, just online from social media. Some people I had met at festivals or events. And I started with Maya McBriar. She, uh, she has the blog um, Twin Peaks Fanatic that she started in 2014, right after season three was announced. And she's had a, a pretty big voice in her own platform in the Twin Peaks community. So I wanted to start with her. I knew her. I'd met her. And I thought she'd be a good person to start with. And it just kind of went out from there. And so pretty much came from a network of people um, that I've, I've met over the years of, of women and uh, and uh, who, who wanted to go on record. You know, not, not everybody necessarily did or could, you know, for various reasons. Um, and I did have to cut myself off for a while from interviewing people from the Twin Peaks fan community because I could, you know, I could keep going. There's so many incredible women uh, that I could have kept on interviewing. And then when I was getting the celebrities, um, when, once Cheryl Lee was on board, that I knew that the book was really going to come together because, you know, she played Cheryl Lee and I knew that she could provide a, a you know, particular perspective about performing this character. But she's also had to live this character for years and years and years. She's, you know, gone to conventions and people have really opened up to her about their own history of abuse and what's happened to them. And she's graciously and she's empathetically heard their stories and connected with them. Um, but she is often seen, you know, as this character, she's grateful for being seen as this character, but it's also got to be difficult too to be seen as this character and have to relive this character over and over. So I wanted to explore that too. And then when I got, um, I got Grace Zabriskie, Jennifer Lent, Grace Zabriskie, who played Sarah Palmer, Laura Palmer's mother and Jennifer Lynch, who wrote the secret diary, uh, of, of Laura Palmer and then uh, Sabrina Sutherland, who was kind of the business side of Twin Peaks, executive producer in a world still dominated by by men and, and the producing side of things. And sort and she's also the voice of Lynch too. And I wasn't sure when I was getting the celebrities involved, like who all I was gonna um, reach out to. And uh, and I decided to the group that I had was great because it's a core group of women involved in the show. Um, who are sort of surrounding Laura Palmer's story or contributing to Laura Palmer's story in a way. So I thought it was this great sort of tight-knit group who could really speak to that character. That's really fascinating how that came together. Um, one thing I did want to touch on as well, because you you mentioned there how how empathetic Cheryl Lee is when she you know engages with people who do feel this affinity for Laura, perhaps because of some aspects of their own history. But... Um, I just wanted to talk about the fact that a portion of the proceeds from the book is being donated to Rain, which is the uh, Rape, Abuse and Incest National Network. And sort of tied into that in the foreword, uh, which she wrote, Cheryl Lee describes Laura as a reflection of the millions of women and children who have suffered in the hands of abuse, which is just kind of simultaneously horrifying and really moving. But could you talk a little bit more about how Twin Peaks explores the subject of abuse through the character of Laura Palmer and perhaps what that means for for women watching it who have been in that position themselves? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of times in film and TV, particularly in the early 1990s, uh, didn't really, you know, wade into um, the topic of sexual abuse, let alone incest. It's, it's a taboo. It was a, it, it has been and even is now to a certain extent a taboo, uncomfortable subject 
um, that that we often just shy away from from talking about. And in a lot of ways, that's a problem because we don't always talk about how prevalent it is. Um, and uh, and because there's so much shame surrounding it, there should not be shame for survivors, but there still is in a lot of ways. And people are not often believed when they speak up about it. Um, so it was really revolutionary, particularly with Firewalk with me, uh, when you know David Lynch is and, and then Mark Frost in the show is exploring this topic and and not just exploring it as sort of this fetishizing of it um, or exploitation of it, but really getting to know the survivor, the, the victim, Laura Palmer, um, who is, you know, this really complex, um, incredible woman who is, you know, serving her community in so many different ways. She's volunteering, she's doing meals on wheels, she's tutoring, she's helping, she's had such a hand in helping the community, but this horrible thing is happening to her in her own home um, by her own father or, or, and or Bob, you know, however you want to choose to look at it. And, and she can't, tell anyone in her town. She has all these people that she interacts with, but she can't tell anyone. And I think that's, that's very indicative of what it's like to be an abuse victim and a survivor is you can't tell. And part of the reason you can't tell is, is in our society so many times survivors, especially women, but survivors are not believed. And, um, and there's, there's not often laws, you know, in the the United States, for one, we have different States that have statute of limitations that are, pretty brief. Um, so, and sometimes people don't feel comfortable telling what happened to them till they feel safe. And sometimes that's many, many years after this has happened. And then the statute of limitations uh, for prosecution and justice have, have run out. And I think this show and especially the film fire walk with me really showed the trauma of what it's like to go through this, the psychological spiritual trauma of what, abuses and, and, you know, how it can happen in the home and often is uh, perpetrated by somebody, you know, and I think that resonated with a lot of people. It certainly resonated with me and, and that experience. Um, and, uh, and, and like I said, a lot of shows were not doing that at the time or talking about it. We had in the United States in the 1980s, some made for TV movies, um, that, that addressed incest. And one was called something about Amelia and, it, it's really terrible. It has Ted Dance in there, who's an incredible actor, but uh, who's abusing his daughter. And at the end of the show, um, he it goes to therapy with his wife, and all is well. And he's not he's not prosecuted for his crimes. He's not brought to justice. And it's just basically said, you know, a given that his wife and Amelia should forgive him and go to therapy and move on. And I, at the time, I, I saw that when I was a child, I thought it was really problematic. And now, now I see it as horrific um, of what it basically tells people. He is sort of the center of the story as this victim uh, rather than uh, Amelia, um, his daughter. And so I think when Fire Walk With Me came around, um, this was this you know groundbreaking movie that really showed the psychological and horror of trauma and really put the victim at the center of it, her story at the center of it. Definitely. I mean, you can't see me now, but um, I think my, my jaw dropped twice during that. First, when you said Ted Danson was in the movie. And secondly, when you described the ending where the characters go to therapy and there's this idea that, you know, he should be forgiven and that, you know, his family needs to, you know, forgive him and work past it. It's, it's really horrifying and just God. Um, but 
it's it's so interesting then that you get something like Twin Peaks and as you say, particularly Fire Walk With Me, where the emphasis is not on the men, basically, um, which is kind of a broad way of putting it. But especially in Fire Walk With Me, the emphasis isn't on Leland. It's not on Laura's father. It's not even on Agent Cooper and the men who are, you know, trying to solve the crimes. It is on the victim and it's very much filtered through her perspective. And it's very heavily psychological in that sense, which I think is really interesting. And it's, you know, obviously very much in keeping with Lynch's work, which is, of course, you know, very, very heavily psychological. But it's just it's such an interesting and such an immense shift in perspective um, and a very necessary shift in perspective, I think. Yes. And, and, and I mean, that's, you're, you're touching on it too. It's through her perspective, you know, we're seeing it through her eyes and it's, it's really remarkable that you have this, you know, male filmmaker who is, excuse me, portraying this character, this female character and, um, and it resonating so much with, with so many women, you know, it's pretty powerful and that's a testament to David Lynch, but it's also a testament to, to Cheryl Lee, um, bringing her all to that performance too, because she, she's making up so much of that, that character and her performance. Yeah, her performance is just incredible, like her facial expressions and her movement. Um, there is, you know, there's that one scene in Far Walk With Me where she goes to the to the roadhouse and she's kind of, you know, I think she's sort of come to that realization that, you know, in order to break the cycle of abuse, she kind of launches into this sort of self-destructive pattern. It's almost like she realizes that the only way to escape it is through death. And you just you see her in the roadhouse while Julie Cruz is singing that really haunting song and she just, she breaks down and she cries and no one says anything. And like, there's no, there's no dialogue that you can hear, but it's just her face and her performance and her tears in that moment that is just so incredibly heartbreaking and so incredibly moving. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Her, her, her entire performance is just incredible. Yeah. And she has such range in, in that film too. She's, you know, she's, uh, she's sarcastic. She's loving. She's terrified. She's you know, fearful. She's, she's sad. She's heartbroken. Um, she's angry. I mean, all of these incredible emotions that she goes through and she's, she, it's on her to carry the film and she certainly does. And I don't, I don't know how she did it. <laughs> yeah. It, it's amazing. And like, I can't, I can't imagine kind of the, the psychological ordeal for an actor, um, even just having to prepare for and perform that role. So the whole thing is just amazing, really. Um, the, the next thing I wanted to talk about, and I think it actually just ties into what we've been saying about how incredibly moving the portrayal of abuse and the psychological trauma of abuse in Twin Peaks is, because over the years, I've read like numerous articles and I've heard numerous think pieces where people will describe Twin Peaks as being misogynistic or they'll dismiss it as a kind of fetishization of this silent, eternally beautiful dead girl. But I think what Twin Peaks actually does is subvert that pop culture obsession with the silent dead woman by allowing Laura's story to come to the fore over the course of three seasons and a movie and books as well. Do you think this kind of foregrounding of the victim and this giving a voice to the victim explains the, the uniqueness of Twin Peaks as a series? I, I think it does. And that's that's one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book is and explore Laura Palmer is it's it's my early memory of uh way before a lot of people were doing this, um, of showing the the victim as a human being and showing the complexity of the victim through Laura's story and, and 
the, the film, um, Fire Walk With Me, and also in and Jennifer Lynch's The Secret Diary, we, we get to know who this person is. Um, she's humanized in, in a way that she wouldn't be if it was any other film or TV show. And I think that's really, really important, uh, especially when when navigating sexual abuse that, again, wasn't talked about in the early 90s and still isn't really talked about in the way that it, it should be um, or could be. And so, yeah, I, I've, you know, my, my book is not a, um, I do, I do get into it a little tiny bit, but it's not a, a, a huge discussion of misogyny and, and Twin Peaks, but there's, there's a little bit. Um, but yeah, I've read pieces over the years, uh, particularly in the 1990s, there was quite a few pieces too. And even in the, the thousands, the aughts, um, uh, that are accusing David Lynch of, of misogyny. And, uh, and I'm not, I'm not here to, um, argue whether David Lynch is a feminist or not, but I will say that, um, you know, what he did was he treated this, this character with complexity. And I think that's what I won't speak for all women, but I know as a woman, when I'm looking at characters on film, I don't want to see a stereotype. I don't want to see a one dimensional character. Um, the women don't necessarily have to be superheroes. Uh, but I want to see somebody who's complex and written complexity, complexly in the same way that, that men um, or any gender it should be written compl- with with complexity, and uh, and I think I think that's what Lynch did is is uh, in in the film Fire Walk with Me, and then of course his daughter, um, the filmmaker Jennifer Lynch, wrote an incredible backstory for for Laura Palmer and the Secret Diary, um, which also contributed to that complexity. Absolutely, and yeah, I think one of the things that's so so interesting about Twin Peaks and so interesting about the representation of Laura is is her complexity. I mean, Twin Peaks has been a massively influential series. And in the decades, you know, subsequent to to its airing, you see other shows that kind of try to do what Twin Peaks did. You know, they'll have a mystery and they'll have, you know, the the all-American homecoming queen who turns out to have a, you know, a dark side. But even that is a sort of, you know, a simplification of what Laura was because initially you do get this idea in the series and you know I love how Lynch plays with it in the sense that in the first few episodes it almost comes across as a kind of conventional mystery or a conventional noir and you get the sense that they're investigating the death of this homecoming queen who you know looked like the you know the the blonde beautiful all-american girl but then she has a dark side but then as the show goes on you realize that there are more and more layers to that and it's not that she was a seemingly good girl, you know, air quotes, uh, with a dark side, but rather this really complex human being who was just this multifaceted person who uh, was caring and kind and compassionate, but also rebellious and self-destructive, but also traumatized and suffering and afraid. And she's she has so much to her. And that all comes across over the course of of the series and of, of the book as well, as you mentioned, um, the, you know, uh, the, the book that um, Jennifer Lynch wrote, The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. Um, I did actually want to ask you about that because you did interview Jennifer Lynch for your book and you interviewed her and spoke to her about writing The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. And you noted that a lot of young women devoured that book and just felt really close to Laura when reading it. Why do you think the book, uh, The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer, resonated so much with so many girls and women over the years? 
Yeah. When I was interviewing the women in the fan community, the secret diary came up so many times. It, it surprised me how often it came up because I knew fire walk with me would come up, but I didn't know how much the secret diary of Laura Palmer resonated with, with so many fans. And I think it's because for one thing, Jennifer Lynch is a woman and she has that, that female perspective and she wrote it when she was really young. Um, and, and she also, she, she says, she's told the story before and she tells it in the book that when she was a child, she always wanted to find a diary of another little girl because she wanted to know if that little girl felt like she did and experienced the same things that she did. And that's sort of the mindset she was bringing to writing Laura's story. So you have a woman writing um, the story of the backstory of Laura Palmer and um, she's coming with that perspective and and she's also getting into that mindset of her as a young girl, um, wanting to know the thoughts and feelings of, of what it's like to be a young girl. And so for myself and a lot of other uh, women that I interviewed, we read The Secret Diary when we were young. We were teenagers or we were young. And it was really compelling to read a story about um, this girl. Of course, terrible things had happened to her, but she was also negotiating her life um, between being a, a woman and that phase where you're almost a woman, but you're still a child. And she's negotiating her, you know, coming to her own sexuality and exploring that and um, her complexity and her love of animals and her, you know, um, negotiating her family and all those things that, that young people go through, but especially young women go through. And I think that responded to a lot of us who read that, particularly when we were young, to particularly when we were young girls. And I, I think it, like I said, I think it does help that that Jennifer Lynch was young and she was coming with that female perspective um, and trying to tell Laura's story. That's why it was so compelling to women in particular. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Yeah, I think she really, she, she really manages to sort of evoke that sort of adolescent voice and the complexity of that voice and that idea that, you know, adolescence is that phase where you're just sort of it's almost kind of like metamorphic. You're not really one thing or another, you know, you're sort of moving between phases and still sort of figuring out who you are and navigating um, a sort of a burgeoning sort of adulthood. Um, this actually kind of brings me to, to another related question, but in one of your discussions, you speak to the scholar and podcaster, Rosie Stewart, who says that while it's great to have films that sort of accurately and realistically represent the everyday lives of women it's also really important to represent women as dreaming creatures who have dreams and nightmares and who can sometimes be a little bit weird um and kind of drawing on that i was wondering do you feel that at least some of the allure of twin peaks lies in its sort of psychological elements its ability to represent the subjective experience of women Absolutely. And, and I would say, you know, so many women are, are, are artists and dreamers and, uh, and, 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 you know, express their psychology and their experiences through, um, through their dreams and through their art. So uh, it makes sense that, that that's, that's a very complex and psychological and spiritual way to show 
what women are going through, what women are dealing with to show women's power, um, but also to show women the trauma that women are dealing with as well. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that drew me into Twin Peaks initially was, was things like the Red Room. Um, and then we see, we see Laura Palmer sort of negotiating different worlds, her, her reality, and then also this dream world too, where she's, you know, um, going into, to the Red Room and other, you know, places and she's, um, she's negotiating that. And yeah, I mean, women are, like I, I mentioned before, complex creatures who dream. And um, one of the things that Twin Peaks did that was interesting is, is you know, it, it'd be very, it, the subject matter is difficult enough if it were just a realistic portrayal. Um, but I do think it, in some ways, having a, a supernatural portrayal or dreamlike portrayal um, with this evil entity of Bob and this dream world for Laura in terms of the Red Room and, and other other places um, makes that reality a little bit easier to consume as a viewer um, because it, it it puts it into the supernatural coding uh, that, you know, taking a difficult subject matter and putting it in the supernatural coding. Yes, it is her father, but there's also Bob and there is this other world that she's negotiating in this liminal space. And so I think that is, um, that's really powerful. And, uh, and I think it's also easier for us at least, at least I can speak for myself, um, easier for me and, and maybe others to, um, to consume something like this that is a really dark portrayal of trauma and murder and abuse, um, but done in this really interesting, dreamlike, supernatural way. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, you know, I think that brings me on to, on to my next question. Um, in, the, in, in, I think, the, the introduction to your book, you frame both the book itself and Laura's story as a ghost story. And of course, you know, the, the title of the book itself is Laura's Ghost. So I was curious as to why the centrality of ghosts? Why do you frame Laura's story as a ghost story? Yeah, ghost stories are, uh, and ghosts are, are, you know, entities that that haunt us. And I I like the ambiguity of the idea of haunting because I think sometimes it comes with a, a negative um, connotation, but I think it can be more complex than that. And I like the idea that um, ghosts haunt, they stay with us. Um, they, they remind us of something that has happened that we haven't completely processed yet. And that's what I was sort of tapping into is the psych- psychological idea of a ghost. Um, that, uh, that, you know, women experience with trauma, um, that they haven't, you know, officially, uh, processed or, or confronted. It's, it's always there. Um, uh, but then Laura Palmer, you know, she starts out as this, this dead, um, young girl who's washed up on a beach and her, her ghost, um, the, the figurative ghost, uh, haunts the town. Her death is really powerful in the way it haunts the town, but it also haunts the, the show and movie and, you know, all three seasons of, of Twin Peaks as well. She's, she's, uh, even season three, she's, she's a sort of, um, uh, you know, sp- spirit, spiritual presence in the opening credits. And of course, in, in part eight as well with their, the golden orb. Um, but I like this idea of presenting her as, as a ghost, um, because it's, it works in these different ways of both the, the figurative sense in terms of the TV show in a, in a meta way. And then, and then also, um, this idea of ghosts with our own experiences and how they are difficult to confront um, and they're often repressed and we can't really get rid of the negative ghosts unless we confront those, those spiritual ghosts that still haunt us. 
Yeah, it's it sort of, it, it makes me think, and Twin Peaks makes me think a lot in general of, you know, the sort of the psychological idea of the uncanny, you know, that that notion that those things that we try to repress or not think about, they'll always come back to haunt us, potentially in a, in a slightly more disturbing manner. And there's that real sense, I think, of haunting throughout throughout Twin Peaks. I think like even the the Palmer house to a degree feels like a haunted house, um, not so much haunted by a person or a presence, but more by, you know, what's happening there. You know, the way Lynch shoots the the hallways and the staircase and the fan, there's this sense that, you know, something evil or something sinister is kind of permeated the house. Yes. And I think that's that's so true about, you know, not just the people, but the places. The the Palmer House is the site of trauma of what happened to Laura. And it's it's filled with that energy. And, uh, and so, yeah, and, and Lynch, you know, capitalizes that he's, like you said, he's moving through the hallways, the ceiling fan becomes this almost other character in the show, you know, that is, uh, the, the spiritual transgression of the father and lots of different ways you can, you can interpret it. Um, but it's, it becomes this really powerful place, uh, because of what happened to Laura Palmer. Definitely. Um, so one thing that really jumped out at me while I was reading your book, and this is probably because I'm Irish, but it's it's the bit towards the end where you describe Sinead O'Connor's 1992 Saturday Night Live performance, uh, the, the famous one where she, she tore up the picture of the Pope. And you said that oh, because of that, O'Connor is forever connected to Firewalk with me in your mind. And this resonated with me a lot as well, because even though I was only about five years old in 1992, I remember that here in Ireland for years after that happened, Sinead O'Connor was mocked relentlessly and she was viewed. And again, this is in quotation marks. She was viewed as crazy because of that performance and because of the things she said about the church. But now almost three decades later, the, the abuse of women and children at the hands of the Catholic church is very much publicly is very much public knowledge and it's openly discussed. It's on the news and people have conversations about it. And I was wondering why you see that connection between Sinead O'Connor's performance and Fire Walk With Me. And also, do you see parallels between how O'Connor was dismissed and how Laura's community just sort of stood by, essentially, while she was abused? That's a great question. Yeah, so I am, I'm Irish on my mother's side and, uh, and, and uh, have, have actually done a lot of a lot of research in Ireland and been connected to Ireland and in many ways been traveled there extensively. Um, and, and it was, you know, you know, my, my, my last name is Stallings, which is very English, but my family never talked about the English side of, of my, my ancestors. It was always, you know, the, the Irish side and, and I'm born on St. Patrick's day. So, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Irish, Irish through and through. Um, so yeah, so I was raised with this Super. I, I was raised with this Irish identity, um, which is why I, after I, I drafted the the book, I was like, "There's a lot of Irish in here." Well, that's my identity, so my identity is making its way into this book. Um, but yeah, for me, you know, I when I, I saw that live, I watched Saturday Night Live um, live when I was when I was young, when I was a child, and I remember um, seeing that actual live. That they won't um, they won't replay that scene when in the recorded performances. Um, and I was very shocked by it. And I remember the conversations after that, keep in mind, I was a child um, of just what a horrible thing that she had done. And I was a fan of Sinead O'Connor. And I, I didn't understand because I, I wasn't fully aware of what she was trying to do or, you know, and I was really shocked that she would, she would um, tear up this, 
uh, picture of um, this very, you know, important person in the Catholic Church and the, the, the top of the Catholic Church and, and, and you know, for all intents and purposes, very kind, you know, um, um, spiritual leader. And I, I, I didn't understand it until years later, I'd read about it. I read her perspective and I realized, oh, she, you know, she came from abuse and, and her mind um, and her, you know, she, she was, she was connecting um, the abuse that she had experienced in the home. You know, she, she was abused in her home by her mom um, and her mom had a, a picture of the Pope in the house and um, she was connecting that, but she was also connecting it with the abuse of children that was happening in the Catholic church happening in other churches too. I don't want to just single out Catholicism because there was a big cover up in the Catholic church because of the nature of the hierarchy of the church, but there's in Protestant churches, um, the Southern Baptist churches in the United States, there's been some um, journalists who've uncovered some extensive abuse uh, in, in those churches as well. So it's not just the Catholic church. Um, but, uh, but she was bringing light to that when nobody, nobody was talking about sexual abuse, especially in religious organizations at the time. And, and so for me, those, especially in my memory too, not necessarily at the time, but in my memory, um, those are overlapped, uh, fire walk with me and, um, Sinead O'Connor. Cause I think both of those, you know, um, the show and the person of Sinead O'Connor were trying to call attention to something that happens to people around the world, women around the world, children around the world. And people weren't really ready to deal with it. I mean, fire walk with me was, um, was not received uh, well by, by many critics and even many fans. And uh, I think some of it had to do with uh, the shocking nature of the way it confronted abuse directly. It was not the usual cherry pie and donut and coffee um, that, you know, many of us love about Twin Peaks. And then Sinead O'Connor was, was confronting, you know, maybe it wasn't the best way to do it, but she was making a political statement in su- support of standing up for the abuse of children. And to me, as a, as a survivor, that was so powerful. Here's this woman. It's so hard to be a woman artist in the world, but particularly in the early 90s, who's taking the stand, a risk, risked her entire career. You know, it was really hard for her to come back from that. And, and, uh, and I thought that was just such a, both of those were really powerful statements that were ahead of their time in many ways. And people weren't listening. People didn't want to really dig into uh, what both the show and Sinead O'Connor were really talking about with with regard to abuse uh, toward children. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember for a long time in Ireland, she was, you know, she people joked about her and made fun of her. And, you know, she, she became just this figure of ridicule. But it's really interesting to see now that there's a whole generation of young feminists here in Ireland who have who've grown up aware of what happened in the church, who have sort of reclaimed Sinead O'Connor and sort of seen her and they now see her as kind of a pioneering figure in, in talking about these issues. Um, and it, I guess it's kind of interesting that sort of likewise, Fire Walk With Me has very much been reclaimed as well, that, you know, as you said, it was initially controversial because it was it moved away from the the sort of comforting quirkiness of of the series towards this really horrendous vision of abuse and as a result it was quite controversial but i think in recent years it's been sort of reclaimed and a lot of people i think now rank it very highly within within lynch's filmography yeah and and going back to Sinead o'connor too she she is um she tried this year to make a huge comeback with touring, um, but then the pandemic set in. I actually saw her in concert in, in February. She was the last concert I saw before the, the pandemic. So that was a good one to see, I guess, before you, you know, before you can, as we all go kind of, you know, stay at home for a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
Fire Walk With Me, like you said, is being, uh, Sinead O'Connor is being reclaimed by a lot of people um, and, uh, and, and fans and, and who understand the, the, what she was trying to do. And then Fire Walk With Me also is, is finally getting some recognition um, for being the groundbreaking work that it was and how important it was. So, uh, so both of those things are, are good. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that's interesting about Twin Peaks and one of the reasons I love it is that it has this world of extreme darkness and extreme goodness. And those two things can coexist, you know, in the same world where you can have Agent Cooper, you know, joking about cherry pie and giving yourself a treat every day. You can also have this horrific, you know, abuse happening within a seemingly normal suburban home. And it's that contrast, I think, that makes Twin Peaks so fascinating, that the world is simultaneously a wonderful, joyful place, but also a really, really dark place. And I think Lynch never really commits to both. The series kind of goes back and forth between those two perspectives. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons why it's so affecting. Yes, and that's how the the world is for many of us. I mean, I know just just being in this pandemic, I'm sort of hyper aware of the joys that I experience and the the, the, the sadness that I experience, And I think he is showing what, you know, what, what the spiritual side of the world is through the extreme joy and simple things like coffee and donuts. Um, but also the horrific trauma and abuse, you know, this is, this is the world that we live in and this is the complexity of it. And, and, uh, and Lynch and Frost do a great job of, of exploring, you know, all those, all those aspects. Definitely. So, In your book, you do bring together this very wide range of different women, and many of them are involved in the arts. Why do you think so many artists and creators, particularly women, are inspired by Twin Peaks? Well, I think, you know, Twin Peaks is an unusual show. Um, It's a a show full of mystery. It's one of the things that Lynch talks about quite a bit. Um, It leaves a lot unsaid or unexplored, um, unstated, I guess, unexplained. And what that does is it leaves room for the viewers to, to come up with their own answers or to explore those, those spaces that, that are not explained. And I I love that about it. I love the mystery surrounding the show, um, because it leaves a lot up to us. And, uh, Lynch is always quoting the, the Maharishi. He, He says, the world is as you are. And I really think with Twin Peaks, we all bring our own experience, just like any art, but especially Twin Peaks, we all bring our own experiences to it. So what I may get out of the show or how I may interpret it uh, might be vastly different than somebody else. And because there are those spaces of mystery that are unexplained and left open, um, there's lots of room to explore. And I think that's why a lot of people, but especially women in the fan community, have created art based on Twin Peaks or, um, <clears throat> or um, are inspired by it. But I also think it attracts people who are creative because of that room to explore that mystery. And, and that's one of the things I wanted to highlight is I wanted to, to show there's some incredible women, you know, writing, creating art, doing really, really um, amazing things. And, and they're in, some of it's related to the show. Not all of it is. And, and they're really inspired um, by, by these works, by the show, by the film, by the books, um, all of it. Yeah, I think that that open-endedness and that ambiguity is particularly intriguing, not just in in Twin Peaks, but in in all of Lynch's work. Like I've never, I I teach at a university and I've I've unfortunately never had the chance to teach Twin Peaks, but I have taught in Mulholland Drive. 
And whenever I set assignments based on or, or have an in-class discussion about it, like everyone gets something different from it. Everyone reads something different into it because there is just that space. And I think if you are, as you said, a kind of a creative person and you like to play with ideas, then there's just something about Lynch's work that is particularly intriguing. Yes. And I think with, with academia too, I think we're, we're just getting started. Um, you know, you're teaching Lynch and, and you're writing academic work. And I'm really excited to see what the academic world is going to do with, with season three, because now we have so much more to work with. Uh, and I think there's, you know, there's a, there's a creativity in academic work too. And I think um, people are also bringing their own fields, disciplines, backgrounds, experiences to, to that work as well. And so uh it excites me what art's going to be produced, but also um, what intellectual ideas are going to come from the show as well. Definitely. Um, and kind of, I guess, staying somewhat on the same page, but why do you think that even now, three decades after its debut, Twin Peaks still has such a vibrant and creative fan community? Well, it was, you know, the fan community kept Twin Peaks alive. And I, I will say that, you know, as there's, there's, been people all over the world, but I will say that, you know, there's a core group of people that went up to the Twin Peaks Festival and in Washington um, for years and years and years and, and found community there. Um, There's wrapped in plastic magazine that before the internet, people could subscribe to this magazine that would explore, um, you know, academic intellectual ideas, but also fun topics as well. And they could write letters to the editor. So the Twin Peaks fan community has always been connected in some way. And now with the internet, we're in social media, we're connected more than ever. And I think, I think there's something really powerful in a show that is weird and quirky and unusual and strange and mysterious. And also, like, I, like I've been talking about, too, confronts abuse so directly, um, just the spiritual, psychological aspect of what abuse can do to a person, a town, a, a place. And I think that's resonated with fans, and fans have, have kept that memory alive, um, you know, uh, long before season three came back, there's there was a, a group of, of people writing about it and, and connecting through it and having community through it. And then when season three came back, that community grew even larger, which was wonderful when people reconnected with Twin Peaks or found it for the first time or a younger generation discovered it. And uh, and I think it'll it'll keep going. I think, you know, this this fan community is is tight knit and and uh, and powerful and creative. And, and I think they're going to continue to welcome new members um, when, when, when new people and younger people discover Twin Peaks. I hope so. That's, that's a really wonderful way to think about it and to kind of to consider the dynamic nature of that community and how a show that is simultaneously, as we said, very dark and very harrowing, but also quite light and joyful, how that can bring so many people together um, and, you know, encourage them to connect in so many different ways. Uh, so I just want to kind of finish up there cause I know we're sort of running low on time, but just before we finish up, I did want to ask, are you working on any new projects at the moment, uh, books or publications or web projects or anything like that? Well, my, my first, um, uh, order of business is to finish my dissertation for my PhD. So that's my, that's my big next book project I'm working on. Oh Yeah. Uh, which, is, <laughs> which is which is taking some time, which is good, which is good. Well, that's my big one. Uh, then I'm we're, I'm also um, continuing to write for the Blue Rose magazine, which is our our magazine dedicated to Twin Peaks and David Lynch and Mark Frost. So it's a quarterly magazine. It comes out 
four times a year. I think, I think now we're doing one or two a year. We've kind of scaled down this past year. Um, and then, uh, and then I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to submit to, to the, the Twin Peaks, um, uh, in David Twin Peaks, uh, season three conference, uh, that's happening, uh, in June of next year. And I'm excited to, to get into something. I'm not going to be writing about Laura Palmer. I'm taking a, a bit of a break from Laura Palmer, even though I love her. Um, I need a, I need a bit of a break after writing that book. Um, but those are my, my next projects. I would like to do another book. Um, but I'm, I'm going to wait a, at least a year or so before we're starting my next big project. Excellent. That all sounds really interesting. And because I, I have some involvement with the with the conference you mentioned, I really do hope you submit something as well, because I'd love to hear more of your ideas on Twin Peaks kind of more broadly as well, I guess, beyond beyond Laura, who, as we said, is a fascinating character. But yeah, there is there is just so much to discuss and so much fascinating stuff surrounding the show. So I do hope you you submit something to that as well. Yes, I'm uh-huh. really excited about um, what people are going to say about season three, because I feel like we, now we've had a few years and. Uh, there's going to be some great academic work uh, coming out of, yeah, out of season three. Definitely. I mean, I, I, I had I had whole theories about Twin Peaks and, you know, I'd made up my mind about how certain things worked and what certain things meant. And then season three came along and I had to sort of reconfigure all of that. And I still don't really know what's going on now. So, yeah, season three is definitely, I think, forced a lot of people to to, to reconsider their theories and their ideas about what was going on, which I think will lend itself, as you said, to some really interesting academic discussion. Okay, Most definitely. so... Um, so we'll finish up there, but um, th- I just wanted to say thank you so much again for joining us. It was a really, really fascinating discussion, and I, I really enjoyed having the opportunity to chat to you about Twin Peaks and about Laura Palmer and what she means to so many people. Um, so just to say that Laura's Ghost, Women Speak About Twin Peaks, is out now from Fayetteville Mafia Press. Am I saying that correctly, Fayetteville? Yes, yes. Um, Excellent. Um, and you can get a, you can purchase a copy from their website and I think from a whole host of different online retailers. Um, and yeah, just thank you very much for, for joining us for the show. And thank you to our audience for, for tuning in. You can find more podcasts on a range of different uh, books and different topics on the New Books website. Uh, so yeah, thanks again, Courtney. It was a very, very interesting conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation.